0: Welcome back, True Believers, to the No Responsibility Podcast. This is episode one. We are going to be talking all about mechanical structures within the Marvel Champions universe. And yes, this is a Marvel Champions LCG podcast, and we're going to have a bunch of fun. So my name is Sugi. We also have Jay, who is always angry, and then Tycho Sean. So welcome to the show, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Yeah, doing great, man. I'm good. All right, so this week we are going to be uh, deep diving into, like we said previously, the structural mechanics of the game because what makes any game interesting, what makes any game unique, are the mechanics in which you play the game. If every game was exactly the same, We would probably get really bored really quickly, and so uh, each of us is going to uh, talk a little bit about some of our favorite things within the Marvel Champion structure, just because even though it is co-op and it's an FFG game and it has similarities to both The Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror, it is its own unique game and we want to focus on that today because there's a lot of people on Facebook and Reddit and the internet going well I already play champion or I already play Arkham Horror or I've already played Lord of the Rings why would I play champions isn't it the same thing and Uh, We would like to uh, argue that it is not, and that's basically what this episode is about. So we're going to dive into the mechanics of what makes Marvel Champions so great. And to start us off, we're going to let Jay talk about his favorite aspect of what makes Marvel Champions so cool. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your favorite part of the game there, Jay.
1: So I'm going to pick the boring one, but I always find it fascinating, you know, how different games handle resource systems. Uh, Without bringing up previous examples of other games, just I've noticed a trend that resource systems have gotten simpler over time. And I think that just really helps in making games a lot more accessible than they were in the past. And just helping you always be able to do something exciting every turn, I think is like, honestly, the best part about playing card games is drawing and playing cards and when the turn structure and the rigid, you know, like setup up on like how turns are acted upon, I think has really loosened over time. And I think that's just made more accessible and more fun games and not saying that if you like those other styles, you know, those are bad. But again, for a game like this, that's trying to bring in, you know, all types of people who've played a lot of games or maybe not a lot of games, I think. This structure is great. And the way Marvel Champions handles it is that, first off, uh, every card that you have in your deck is a resource. You don't have separate resources and separate playable cards. Every single card both does something and is worth one of the three uh, resources which are broken down into mental, energy, and physical, and then there's also a fourth resource type, which is basically a wild and uh, wild can be played as any of the resources. So uh, the cards that you play do not require a specific resource to be played. They just have a value such as three. So you just have to discard, you know, three other cards from your hand to then play that card and put it into play. And what's exciting is that many cards, though, say if you spent, you know, a physical card to pay for this card, you get a bonus effect. So there's, you know, the phrase often used is kickers. So you can uh, build your deck specifically to highlight different resources to play and, you know, accentuate these awesome Bonus effects, And I think that's a really cool decision point if you want to make a physical heavy character versus an energy heavy character and the different types of builds that will grow from those. And on top of that, the other thing that I think is really cool about the way cards are played in the game is that your turn is very free form where you can, you know, play dudes do an effect attack, flip your character, all these things are like, you know up to you like when you want to do them on your turn so you there's less likely of a chance that you like forgot or missed an opportunity to do something and i think that just makes people more comfortable to do stuff and then the other thing um that this game does that really excites me is that when you play cards they come into play ready a lot of older games you have to like wait a turn before you get to use the cards that you played you know because in a competitive game like you always want to be able to react to the stuff your opponent does but in this game you know the the game is already reacting to you as you play stuff so you can drop an ally and immediately send them into fight or you know use any of the plethora of cards you play instantly which i think is just much more you know action focused much more instant gratification And I think that just improves game flow and keeping things, you know, intense and moving and just makes your turns more exciting in general. And so, you know, it's kind of funny to get excited about a resource system, but with a resource system like this, I really think the game is just going to be able to be very approachable, play very quickly. And uh, I guess the other aspect I'll bring up um, as part of this is also at the end of the round, everyone draws up to their full hand size. And with that, um, you are incentivized to almost play as much as you can. So you're not penalized for not hanging on to cards. In fact, you can just go boom, 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 and try to have the most explosive turn you can. And then you'll drop and you'll have all new actions next turn. And to me, that just, again, is like a more fun game flow that rewards, you know, active participation instead of like, hoping you find a specific card or making sure you don't waste certain cards or resources. And then lastly, the thing I want to bring up about the resource system as well is that, you know, in the past, uh, there have been mechanics where you can't have two of the same card in play. You know, it's often referred to as the uniqueness rule. It's existed in a lot of games. It's been in a lot of FFG games. And so one of the great things about this resource system is that, If, say, Sean has Mockingbird in play, uh, and I have Mockingbird in my deck as well, and she's in my hand, she is not a dead card. She still generates a resource. So if Sean plans on keeping her around for a while and I don't think I'll be able to play her on my turn, I can chuck her with no consequence to pay for a different card and still play at the same pace and same speed, regardless of the card is in my deck or not and sure you will be able to you know strategize with your friends before you play and maybe you wouldn't put that card in your deck because you knew someone else was going to play them but in the situation where you randomly meet up with other players to play together um and you just happen to have you know a couple of same cards in your deck as someone else's it doesn't actually make your deck perform any worse. And I think that's a really great way to just make this game more communal and more ad hoc and playable on the fly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple thoughts just to bounce off of what you were just saying about the resource system that I've been having is I really appreciate that uh, how to pay for things is not as much of a factor in this game as much as when what to play and when to play it. Because you kind of always know you're going to have resources. You kind of always know you're going to have options. And really just guiding yourself through those options uh, is the more important skill as opposed to figuring out how to build an economy inside of the game. And uh, another interesting thing that I've noticed is that you mentioned the kicker abilities where if you... Uh, pay for a card and you've paid for it with a certain kind of resource that you get some sort of bonus. Uh, And I like that. It seems, everything seems to follow. Like if you're doing some sort of beam attack, then it gets a kicker that's an energy resource. If you're doing like some sort of power punch, uh, some sort of physical attack, then the kicker is going to be the physical resource. And I think that that's a very clever and like very flavorful kind of way to do it. And that. It doesn't have resource matching. You don't have to pay for it with the physical uh, in that you, you, you like, you, you're never going to have stuff in your hand that you just can't play because you don't have the right resource to do it. But if you do have the right resource, then boom, you get this extra bonus and it totally follows uh, by what the type of resource is.
1: And one thing to note too, where the developers were smart is that uh, some of the villains they've already shown off uh, actually are tougher if you're a little too one note on your uh, resource dispersal. Like just for a very quick example, a lot of the gear that Dr. Claw has that he attaches to himself can be removed if one player uh, spends one of each resource type um, and then his stuff will fall off. And if you only have, you know, mental energy in your deck you know you're gonna have a much harder time against dr claw and maybe you want to diversify a little or even you know one of the good things is that you can always use wilds and wilds count as what you want them to be so if you spend a while to pay for a card you can say this is physical and it counts as physical for those kicker abilities which is just amazing design in general and so you won't ever be without options because a lot of your character specific cards, you know, uh, have a plethora of different resource types, but it's just something to think about that. If you go a little too all in on one resource type, there are some encounters that will be much harder for you. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, you need a, you need to tackle these challenges with a variety of options instead of just you know trying to one punch them
2: well we should also note that the corset heroes uh the the hero decks uh, that you select are going to have all three resources and generally uh at least one wild Um, whereas uh so you're going to have all three resources if you want to add to the rest of your deck only really heavily one or another that's up to you but uh you're never going to At least from the heroes that are leaked, you're never going to be completely locked out of a resource. And if you're playing Black Panther, then you have like a gajillion wild resources, which I think is another interesting kind of flavor uh, that they can give to the, the new heroes as they come out. Is like, what is their kind of resource spread and how many wilds do they have and how does that affect the way you build them?
0: I also think what's really nice and simultaneously interesting about the resource system is... They are actively pushing to make sure that players don't have a dead draw, which is a very, very uh, real problem in a lot of card games, especially board-ish card games where groups of people are attempting to work together to achieve a goal. There's a lot of games where you'll hit a dead draw and you have cards in your hand that you can't do anything with, and you basically have... a a very limited or a very boring or even just a turn where you do nothing and so the fact that the cards have a cost but the cost can be anything is very good design the fact that each card produces a type of resource also is a good design because you're never at no point in the game do your cards do nothing and you're always given plenty of options and plenty of choices so that you can say, okay, I want to play this Avengers Mansion, but it costs four. So I lose four cards out of my hand, but now I can draw cards for the entirety of the game. or
2: And those cards you draw are also resources. So draw becomes also economy, which is just brilliant.
0: Yeah. Or I have uh, two upgrades. Or I, I have two upgrades that cost one, so I can play these two cards, but it costs me two additional cards out of my hand, and I have five cards in my hand, so I only have one card left. So, like, the math is fun, and the choices are fun, and you're always, for the most part, you're always going to have to make a decision because it shouldn't... It, the game is probably very rarely going to come to a turn where it's an auto play. Like, I just play this card and move on, and that's it.
1: Yeah, and then lastly, too, um, I mean one of the things that's gonna you know go on forever on the deck building of this game is how many copies of a card you add to your deck but again this system lends itself to allowing you to play you know three copies of a card you really want to see that maybe you can only have one in play and if you just want to be that aggressive about it you know you won't be penalized later when you draw your extra copies because again it's just more resources the thing you're maybe more worried about is just like how many options do you want to have available to you? Like you're less hurting yourself in the game proper and more hurting yourself in the diversity of your deck. But depending on how you make your deck, that might just be a uh, cost assessment that you're comfortable with. So I can't wait to see, you know, the small debates that even the three of us will have are like, no man, you got to run three of this card. Nah, I only do two, you know, and that's actually a, interesting strategic choice where both options are um very very favorable
0: what's also interesting regarding um it, it's called a resource system but i'm so used to playing magic you know a mana source whatever you want to call it coming from whatever game you come from mana sources resource systems always have really interesting interactions with cards based on the way the designers uh, want you to interact. So what I'm getting at is we could see in the future multi types of resources on one card. So right now we only see one resource on one card or a wild card. But in the future, we could see a version of Nick Fury that has all three. He has an energy, he has a mental, and he has a physical, or he has like two. Uh, we could see villains that you can only deal damage to them if you spend a certain type of resource. Like, you have to spend a resource first, then you can deal damage to them. Uh, We could see all kinds of different interactions with resources as the game evolves and as the designers choose to add complexity. And the really cool thing about how Marvel Champions is structured is even though those mechanical systems can be somewhat complex the game itself is very simplistic and it's not going to create this really confusing and uh, AP brain burning style of game where you're like, wait, what? I don't really understand what's going on. Like, it's very systematic. It's very simple. And because they have colors and symbols for each type of resource, even the youngest of players can understand, Hey, if I spend this blue resource, I can do a thing. Or if I use this symbol, you know, the fist symbol, I can do a thing. And so I think FFG really found the perfect balance between a, A mechanical system that's fun and depth like deep but it's also very approachable because you know a lot of people like I've done some board game design and it's very easy to forget that some people are colorblind I have problems with colors sometimes so any good game will have a mixture of symbols and colors so because people's brains process that information differently like I like to sim, I like to do colors over symbols so like for me it's like okay I can spend blue to do a thing but someone else might say, OK, I need to spend this uh, this fist to do a thing. And someone might be colorblind and they might say, OK, I can't see the colors, but I can see the symbols. And so what, what really gets me going is the fact that FFG took into account everyone and how they process this information, at least from my opinion. So that way, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. You can understand how the resource system works very simplistically and get a lot of bang for your buck out of that system where it's like, okay, I'm going to do all these things and play all these cards and have a really good time. And it's not like magic where you have to do a lot of math and you have to like account for all these different things. It's really simple. Your cards have everything you need printed right there on them. And you just have to figure out, what do I want to do in this given situation?
2: And another note before we move on to the next topic is uh, the, the symbols and the types of resources themselves are very superhero you know, it's uh, you know, your superhero, genius, scientific, uh, you know, uh, power. You've got your like, I'm a physical, gonna punch you in your in your noggin power, and you've got your like, I channel some sort of energy to do. That's my superpower. So all of those things really are very just, it, though they're generic. They're very superhero. They're very comic booky. Which is, which is great. And the other thing I've noticed, and I don't know if this it holds true across the whole core set, but it seems like the physical, like if, if you have a card that's like a physical attack, uh, it won't have a physical resource. It'll have one of the other two. Or if there's something that's like a scientific or a tech upgrade or something, it won't have the mental resource. It'll have one of the other two. So that the cards seem to be balanced across the different... Uh, so if... If you need one, like so that there, there's like a little bit of variety inside the card itself and that it, it's a the card itself is a physical attack, but it provides an energy resource. So if this is not the turn that you're needing to attack someone, you have access to maybe potentially the other resources that you need that turn. Um, and I think that's a, a really interesting way that they did it.
1: Briefly, before we move on to the next mechanic, I just want to make sure that everyone's on the same page for how the win condition works in this game, and then we'll let Sugi talk about item number two. But basically, the way the game is set up is you and up to three of your other friends all pick different heroes to play against a specific Marvel villain, and that character has a health total that you are trying to knock out, but at the same time, That villain comes with its own objective card that slowly accrues threat. And if that uh, reaches its full potential before you can deal enough damage to take down the villain, uh, everybody loses the game. And so in this game, you have a two front uh, style play to deal with where you have to both figure out how to keep their goal from being achieved while also being able to deal enough damage and you have to you know balance on a tightrope to be able to approach uh, both of these equally and you and your friends have to decide who can do what the most efficiently um before either you're all knocked out or your uh time is up so with that sugi how can one player you know Dynamically affect both the villains' ability to fight and their ability to scheme.
0: Yeah. So, this is my favorite aspect of the game. And uh, before I get into the uh, hero and alter ego style of gameplay, I do want to discuss a little quickly about how game design works in a very short statement. So um, if you don't know anything about game design, there's two primary thoughts in which a game is designed and that's top down and bottom up. So top down is a design theorem or mindset in which you are building from theme first and then you add a mechanic onto it. So for simplicity's sake, I love Spider-Man, as you probably know from listening to me talk. So you would come into this game thematically as a top-down designer going, I have an idea, I'm going to use Spider-Man. I'm thematically picking this theme, and now I go through my bag of tools and find a mechanic that works in tandem with a Spider-Man theme, and I slap them together, and that is my Spider-Man card. The other direction, uh, bottom up, is I come into the game with a mechanic, so I think to myself, hmm, I want a mechanic that says something like, uh, when a villain attacks you, you draw a card. Okay, okay. That's the mechanic I have. Now, what character would work with that? And then once again, you go through your bag of tools and you go, ah, that would fit kind of well with a Spider-Man-ish style of character. So when we talk about, you know, top-down or bottom-up design, you know what I'm talking about. So... When you play this game, you get to play as a double-sided card. One side is a hero, one side is an alter ego. We're not going to go through each character per se, but we're going to talk about uh, the mechanical system of why this is so interesting compared to other games. For me, I find it very unique that if you have a hero, like depending on what side of the card you have face up, the villain reacts differently so if you have a hero they're going to come at you and punch you and try and hurt you and break your bones if you're a super you know if you're a superhero fighting super villain that's thematic you're getting after it you're trading blows you know you're going to be doing really cool stuff but if you're an alter ego in civilian mode they don't actually most likely they don't actually know who you are you're just some joe blow on the street they don't really care who you are what you do you're just scum So what the villain's going to do is they're going to scheme and start to perform evil villainous deeds behind the scenes because there's no superhero to stop them. And the way the game works and how your character interacts with the game based on which side they're on is so neat. And once again, this is not new as a mechanic inside of a game, but the way that Marvel Champions utilizes... Your alter ego versus your hero really makes game decisions impactful and the reason i say that is if you watch the team covenant video or even a lot of people who are demoing the game for the first time uh, we're all as players used to being able to just play cards and do whatever they say but fantasy flight has put a sort of um, restriction or uh, valve on the game where some of the actions have to be played as a hero Or as an alter ego. And what's really neat is most of those actions, most of those cards are insanely powerful, but they usually put you in the form you don't want to be in at the time of the game. So like there's some things that are like, hey, you can like get all these resources and you can do all these things and ramp up your, you know, your, your, your board state. But you have to be an alter ego form. You're like, oh, but I need to attack the villain. I need to thwart them. And it's like, well, you can't do that because that's not what your alter ego would do. And you're like, oh, why? So it's it's really fun and unique that you're constantly in this weird relationship of, I need to play this card, but I need to be in this form. So what do I do? Now, the game is also very forgiving because you are allowed to flip between your alter ego and hero once per turn at instant speed, whenever you want. So if you're like, I desperately need to do this thing on this card, you can flip immediately. Um, But there's never a point in the game where you can just free play everything from your hand. You have to make conscious choices that will impact your board state it'll impact the game state and it'll impact you going forward because there might be a point in time where you need to ramp out and you have to do it in alter ego form but your villain might have a buttload of scheme tokens on the scheme and it's like well i really don't want that to accelerate but i really need to do this thing and that kind of tension is always good a lot of people think tension is bad in a game but in reality if there's no tension in a game, it's boring. Like you never want to watch a television show where there's no tension because there's nothing to watch. You know exactly what's gonna happen, there's no reward, there's no investment. You're just kind of like, eh, I know what's gonna happen. It's a there's no there's no threat, there's no problem here. So this hero alter ego system creates this really healthy amount of tension for players, both within themselves and working with other players against the villain. And I think that's really thematic just because that's something that heroes have to deal with in the comics. Like this this game has all kinds of different layers. It's really exciting. Um, so anyways, moving along, when you have a hero, you have three different um, variables on your card. So you have a blue thwart, a red attack, and a green defense. And systematically, thwart, if you tap your character, you remove that many tokens from a scheme. If you tap your character... To attack, you deal that much damage to a villain. And if you tap to defend, you block that much damage from a villain's attack. Very simple. Nothing too difficult. Once again, really nice that there's colors because that helps people process data information a lot easier depending on how your brain is wired. You also have different keywords on each card. So I'm looking at the Spider-Man card right now. And as a hero, you have the Avenger keyword. And as Peter Parker, you have the Genius keyword. And as we see the game expand, we're going to see more cards play around with that. So you'll see a card like, you know, if you have an Avenger, do this thing. If you have a Genius, do this thing. Otherwise, do something that's not nearly as good. So they have already built, like, they future-proofed these characters so that as the game expands, when cards come out that utilize these keywords, you're going to be able to go back and say, oh, yeah, core Spider-Man. He can use this Avenger ability really, really well. And then you get to replay Spider-Man maybe a year or two down the road because a new card came out. Uh, They also have different abilities, which we're not going to go into, uh, but basically each hero does something, each alter ego does something, and those are kind of the things that pull players into the direction of, why you want to play that character that hero because you know if you're not super deep into a marvel universe character you might come here and go i don't really read marvel comics but i really like how spider-man looks or i really like how she hulk plays or i just like the art on iron man like these are all variables that pull people to play different types of decks uh, when you go into your Alter Ego form, you're going to have a uh, a number in yellow. REC is recover. This is how you heal yourself throughout the course of the game. So you can tap your Alter Ego and heal damage equal to the number of recovery. Uh, the only other big thing that makes this game interesting is each side has the exact same amount of hit points, but they have different hand sizes. So, for example, once again, looking at Spider-Man, if you're in Spider-Man hero form, your hand size is a limit of five, whereas Peter Parker is a hand size limit of six. So, you can play around with the number of cards you need in order to do things and sometimes you have to turn into Peter Parker because you need that sixth card you need to be able to draw into that because at the at the start of your turn or is at it the end? it's at the end of your turn you draw up to your hand size so you're never going to get stuck with the I only draw one card per turn syndrome and you're just kind of locked out of the game so there are, are systematic points in the game where it's like I need to draw extra cards so you have to flip into a certain side hero or alter ego so you you can net gain card advantage and so once again it goes back to that that stress and that tension of well my hero can do a lot of damage but my hand size is really small and I really need to get more things on the table but if I turn into my alter ego I'm not really helping the team but I can get more cards to set up but you know and then it's, it's constantly these these branching paths of, if I do this then that if I do that then this and like it's just so exciting because as simple as the game is, a lot of those branching paths can get really complex, especially when you're working with other people. And that creates for some really neat table talk. And I think that's going to be some of the stuff that most of us remember is like, well, I did this thing and then I worked with my buddy and then we did this together and we killed the supervillain in one turn. And you're like, yes, I did it. We did it. It's yeah. High five, you know, go Avengers. Uh, and, you know, that's. That's the big draw for me with the hero alter ego mechanic. uh, And I'm just super excited about it.
1: And I think it's going to create a lot of interesting decision making, just realizing like what uh, side your teammates are on, because, you know, again, like if their if their uh, steam is getting close to, you know, exploding and going to the next stage, like maybe you can't turn alter ego that turn just because you will be the tipping point when the villain activates and it might be safer for you to stay in hero but then you have a ton of damage on you so like can you take one more hit like I feel like these moments are going to creep up on the players and trying to strategize on how you're going to be able to uh, sort of like control their behaviors is going to be some of the most uh, interesting gameplay and it's just as simple as am I in my hero mode or am I alter ego? And like, it seems like a small thing, but it impacts like every layer of the game so dynamically that uh, I'm just really excited to experience it for myself.
2: A um, couple thoughts that I was having about the alter ego system right off the bat is it's, it's kind of genius in that in most games, you don't want to create characters that do everything. You don't want to create characters that can attack, thwart, defend, and heal. And what they've done is they've made it so that every character can do all those things, but you have to make really clever timing decisions about when you're able to do those things. Uh, And that's really nice. And it allows basically each hero to be its own self-contained package so that you could play just that hero uh, against the villain. Um, And the villains scale according to how many heroes you have, which is genius, but the alter ego system is going to be a little bit of an issue in game design i feel like because a lot of the most iconic heroes in marvel don't really have an alter ego like how do you do silver surfer like he doesn't really have a time where he's just kicking it at his apartment not as the silver surfer uh yeah and there's there's a a a lot of examples of that and and i think initially those kind of characters will enter the game as allies but I i think there's some some, some space there for some clever design where maybe they attack those characters that don't have alter egos by making them like dual sided and limiting their abilities uh, that way. And, and I think that that's kind of the, the, the genius is, is that the limitations on you are what makes it fun. It's like you can't do it all every turn all the time. You need to be very clever about it and that re- rewards your cleverness and that feels good
0: yeah the the space in which the designers have to play with this flip aspect is enormous and as long as it doesn't get you know crazy overpowered for me personally this is probably going to be the most uh, rewarding and interesting aspect of the game because i'm really excited to see captain america and steve rogers like what are they going to do you know when they have miss marvel what are they going to do like how are they going to present their alter ego versus their hero form and you know like with things people are really excited about like x-men and fantastic four but it's like what do you do with like professor xavier you don't like turn him off like he's not like random regular person and then professor xavier like he's just always professing and, Xavier. And
2: Wolverine, too. Like, what's the difference between Wolverine and Logan, really? You know, are they going to be different? I, I, I'm i just really interested to see how they tackle those kind of
1: uh, things. And don't get us wrong. Like, we, uh, we have full faith that, you know, FFG is going to be able to do something cool with all of these types of ideas. And, like, we're not saying we don't think these characters don't fit. But I am curious to see what they bring to this challenge of, like, you know, the whole core of the X-Men is... I can't not be an X-Men, you know, I walk outside and I am Cyclops no matter, you know, whatever I'm doing. And so, sure, he's Scott Summers, but that's not really an identity he has. And maybe he's not the best example, but how about Beast or Nightcrawler? Like, <clears throat> unless they go to that old, weird uh, X-Men Evolution cartoon where Nightcrawler had that goofy, <laughs> you know, h- human form uh narrative trick like i like that show it was a fun show but in all seriousness you know like i want to see how they tackle that and like i can imagine there's going to be characters that like maybe start in hero form and then when they get defeated air quotes like maybe they're a character that can't realistically die and then they have to spend a couple turns you know in like wounded form like that's another way you can still use the flip mechanic and so forth like there's there are definitely directions they can take this. um, And, you know, I'm just eager to see how they handle it for the stuff that we all want to see coming down the line. I even was thinking to myself earlier today, uh, it would be really neat if uh, I'm going to make a lot of Ant-Man references, by the way, people. So just, you know, buckle up. But, uh, (laughs) you know, some card games have like uh, cards where you can fold it and then you unfold it into a big, bigger card so to me it'd be neat if you could have hank pym on the front flip the flip the folded card over which is still a normal card size and have mini form and then you can unfold it into giant man i would, uh, I would lose my mind if that was even a promo and that's how they handled him go ahead and steal that idea ffg <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah they've also mentioned consistently you know, Guardians of the Galaxy in their panels and things. They haven't said outright that the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to be in the game. But, you know, they've mentioned that name and that IP. So I would assume based on that, they probably have a much clearer path to produce them. And my first question was like, well, what are you going to do with Groot? Like he doesn't become not Groot. He's still Groot. So I'm really, really hoping we see a baby Groot because that'd be the cutest thing ever. (laughs) I'm going to put... $5 down right now.
1: I bet it's Rocket on one side, Groot on the other. No, why would you do that? That would be so much. That No,
0: (laughs) I want to play both. Oh, that would be cool. That would be cool, though. I do not disagree with that. That would be super cool. Oh, man. Why would, man, stop that.
2: (laughs) Anyway. I was also thinking it might be cool when they release teams like uh, Fantastic Four, Guardians of the Galaxy, that they have some sort of synergy together. You know, like you can play them all individually, sure, but if they're together, maybe they have a keyword that like triggers off of each other or something. I feel like uh Fantastic Four almost certainly needs to have something like that.
0: I want that for Avengers. I mean the fact that Spider-Man has the Avenger keyword. So I used to play hero clicks a lot way back in the day. And if you had a theme team, you got a bonus, which means all of your characters had the same keyword. So when I saw Spider Man with Avenger and then Cap is coming, and even in the rule book it says Thor is coming, I'm like there's got to be some kind of Avenger bonus. Like, okay, you get, like, some static ability or, like, an extra card in your deck or something because that is just... I mean, this game is going to draw people in on the theme. And if you and your friends sit down and we're going to play Avengers, we're going to play Guardians, we're going to play Fantastic Four, we're going to play X-Men, we're going to play Marvel Knights, like, there better be some kind of theme bonus so that you can crunch your villains and go, all right, don't mess with the Avengers. We're coming after you. Does that
2: sheet. The Avengers trade as well in the core set. Yeah,
0: every everyone in the core set
1: has the Avengers tag so far.
2: Ah, got it. Okay, but there's there's nothing
0: utilizing it yet. That's the thing. Right, right. Well, like it's, or Shield. It's going to be
1: an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to address because again, like there should be benefits for playing you know, teams that play together because we all want to like live those moments. But I also like the, you know, the weird, crazy team up options. So I don't want there to be cards that overshadow, like just the bring whoever you want list. And like that can be remedied by just, you know, like different types of gameplay and scenarios, you know, highlighting different combinations like, maybe there'll be a villain that like, you know, gets bonuses against Avengers and you're like, Oh crap. You know, but then oh, again, uh, I don't want the game to, to force me to not play the character that I want to play. So I, I do want synergistic things. You know, the example I can never stop thinking of is like the, the fastball special where like Colossus throws Wolverine <laughs> or here I go again. Like I said, I'm just going to have references up the wazoo, but like Hawkeye firing Ant-Man on an arrow, I I can never get enough of that image. So lastly to note on like synergies and keywords is again, like I just don't want them to become so powerful that they kind of dictate the most optimal ways to play the game. And obviously you can ignore that stuff, but I still want people to feel comfortable being able to play whoever they want. Even if from day one, they just want to play She-Hulk in every single encounter. And that's just the most fun experience for them. So lastly, I'm going to toss it over to Sean, and he can talk about the last uh, core mechanic of the game that we think really uh, separates Marvel Champions from the rest of the genre. So
2: take it away. Um, My favorite and one of the most interesting uh, aspects of the new game, see what I did there, is the aspect system which allows you to load out or build your heroes in uh, four different ways. As of right now, there's four different aspects. Who knows if they plan on adding more later? Um, And the four aspects are leadership, aggression, protection, justice, leadership, and aggression. Uh, So... Uh, these are basically the four different ways that heroes behave, and any hero can be aggressive, can be defensive, can be a leader, or, or can or can seek justice, uh, which is great. And, and in previous games, this is what might have been referred to as your splash. Uh, whereas you can build your carrot, you can build your deck. You're allowed to splash one uh, out of like house out of faction thing. Whereas they've kind of created this system now where you choose one of these aspects. That's your splash. You can add any number of cards from that aspect to your deck, but just that aspect, you cannot mix. You can't have both justice and aggression. And, um, What's great about the four aspects is not only do they kind of encapsulate the different ways that heroes behave inside the Marvel universe, uh, they kind of apply to everybody and and they give you a way to play your favorite hero a lot of different ways. And you only have access to the cards inside that aspect when you choose it. So it really informs the way you're trying to play your character and your overall strategy for that scenario. So just to dig into each one a little bit, uh, I'll start with aggression. Aggression is exactly what it sounds like. You're just fighting. You want to fight. There's a lot of really powerful attacks in aggression, uh, some very powerful kind of uh, um, uh, physical-oriented uh, allies. There's the attack team support, which basically just deals out damage. So it's a it's a really damage-oriented. Um, and one thing I want to mention before I go too deep into each of one is that they, they have kind of a similar uh, theme in that each – Aspect has a, uh, a buff that it can play on your hero or your, your other, the other player's heroes. Um, the one in Aggression is Combat Training, which will give your hero, it's a limit one per hero, will give your hero an extra attack uh, stat on their hero side of their card. Um, there's um, a similar one in uh, defense, I think it's the Armored Vest, or the Combat Vest, I forget what the exact wording is, that gives you extra defense. There is uh, the Justice uh, has an upgrade that uh, gives you your hero uh, extra Thwart, uh, which can help you deal with the scheming, and the Leadership has, has an upgrade that will buff all, uh, all of your allies. Uh, and so each one has a kind of a different focus, either on upgrading your offense, your defense, um, your ability to thwart, or your, how the efficacy of the allies you have in play. And this will inform the way you build your deck. Like if you're playing with leadership, you want to have a lot of allies because that's the focus of leadership. Um, if you uh, are playing ag- aggression, you're going to want to take a lot of these powerful attacks because that's the focus of aggression. Uh, obviously protection is about uh, your character jumping in front of bullets for uh, other people. And it synergizes off of that. And, um, and, and the other thing that they all have is a resource uh, uh, event. And it usually is uh, the power of aggression, the power of justice, the power uh, Uh, And what this does, it gives you a wild resource, but if you use it to pay, you use that uh, resource card to pay for one of the cards inside that aspect. So if you use the power of aggression to pay for a aggression card in your deck, then you gain an extra resource. And each one of them has this, which basically means that inside each aspect, it has its own synergy uh, it, it's uh, self-referential and it, and it will do what it needs to do because you know that you have the the resources to pay for these powerful aspect cards. Um, and I don't know if you guys have thoughts about it, but it seems to me that um, a lot of the heroes kind of uh, imply a certain aspect and they, I guess they recommend that you play Spider-Man with Justice when you first start playing Spider-Man. It's pretty obvious that, um, to me at least, that Captain Marvel should be at least initially paired with aggression, and I'm really excited to try her that way, at least right away. And maybe if I get bored with that, I'll try her with the other aspects. Um, It seems to me that there's a lot of synergy with Black Panther and the defense uh, or protection uh, aspect. Um, So... Sometimes it might be kind of obvious on their face who who or which aspect you want to play with the hero, but there's no limitations and there's no reason not to try them with all of them. And I think it gives each of us a chance to play our favorite hero a bunch of times in a bunch of different ways. Um, the other thing that aspects do is in a team game, you might need to coordinate with the other players um, to either kind of augment each other's strategy by playing different aspects on your heroes. Or you can go crazy min-max and just like play three heroes all with aggression or all with leadership or and just play every uh, ally in the game and just go go nuts on spamming out one of these aspects. That's really up to your discretion, your play style, uh, just the flavor that you want your game to have. Um, and I think it's a really genius way For them to add this awesome deck building element that limits your deck building options while at the same time opening up your own creativity inside the game
1: yeah i think uh, a couple of things that the game highlights well with the aspect system is one um i originally was kind of comparing them to roles but that's not necessarily what you're doing because as sean mentioned like you can all be protection if you want to and the game is supposed to sustain itself i mean Sure, some strategies will probably, you know, work a little better than others. But again, you know, play the game to have fun and discover things on your own and play what you like. And this game should be able to, you know, accommodate the types of plays that you want to be. But uh, you don't have to, like, you don't have to have a leader, have to have an addresser, have to have a protector. You know, like, if two of you want to be leadership, you can both be leadership. And in some cases, you can either even synergize with each other, which is even cooler as some of the aspects kind of grow. Like leadership has the ability to pull other people's allies out of their discard pile. And so if a lot of you just have really cool allies that you want to highlight, you could have two guys on your team that are just helping you keep those allies in play and making them buff and making them awesome. And you can just create a ally swarm. Like that's definitely going to be a play style And I feel like you can make a very well-rounded approach to playing Spider-Man and like any of the different aspects, even with like leadership, it makes Black Cat freaking incredible. And so it seems like to me that while they all have one like they lean to, um, it feels like they definitely tested it so that none of them feel completely out of place, you know, like... While it might not seem like, you know, She Hulk is best suited for leadership, I'm sure you can make a pretty bombastic leadership deck out of her and still have a good time if that's the way you want to go. And I don't think the game is gonna do anything to penalize you for feeling that way. And I can't wait to talk to different players who just say like, Yeah, man, I just I just like playing, you know, Justice Iron Man because, you know, I can get all the upgrades and fire all my lasers and then use the Uh, justice cards to help in the thwarting category which uh, Tony isn't as equipped to deal with and I just like being much more well rounded while someone else is like I want to be all in and just punches everyone's faces off you know and both of those play styles are absolutely completely valid and you know do what seems fun to you and if you want to change it up um, you shouldn't feel like you're playing an inferior version of the character because that's not how the game is designed
2: I wanted to mention one quick thing that I failed to go over in my little spiel, and that's that uh, if you want to just play with one core set, you have enough cards for everybody. Um, And the other thing in deck building is that the the different aspects seem to kind of lean towards one of the resource types or another slightly. The resource breakdown is a little bit different with each one. So depending on how you want to build your character, one aspect might be better than another. Like if you're trying to spam energy resources or something along those lines. Um, so I just wanted to point that out before uh, we went any further into the aspect talk.
0: So what's really interesting to me about the aspects is they open up multiple different playstyles, And what I mean by that is you can run Spider-Man aggression and you can deal a lot of damage you can just run up and start punching the enemy villain right in the face and just crushing bones you can do spider-man protection and turn spider-man into a tank where he jumps in front of the enemy and goes all right i'm gonna you know defend here and then you can use cards like indomitable that state uh, after your hero defends discard indomitable ready your hero and then you can do it again uh you can use you know all these different aspects on different heroes. In different ways and the reason that that's interesting is because you can take a character that you enjoy and then add it to a play style that you enjoy and you have this really neat experience that you get to have because you might say i'm gonna play protection spider-man and someone else says i'm gonna play leadership spider-man someone else says i'm gonna play justice and so on and so forth and all of you are playing the same character but you're getting completely individual experiences based on not only your character and your aspect but the group of people you're playing with and their aspects so it's really hard to duplicate the same experience multiple times and a lot of people and the reason i say this is people are going oh hey why should i play you know this game instead of like marvel legendary and my my argument is legendary is a deck builder and you generally duplicate the experience you have based on the cards that come out on the flop this game that's really hard to replicate unless you play the exact same character with the exact same deck with the exact same people over and over again which most of us probably aren't going to do we're probably going to switch it up try different aspects try different heroes try different cards because you also have your neutral cards that you can mix and match in so you're constantly generating this very unique experience every time you play the game and that's not a very common thing to say uh, for any game. Usually, you know, if you buy a board game or a a team-based card game, it's very similar. Every time you play, you just change, you know, your perspective, you change the character you play and you try something different. But even still, you could have multiple Spider-Man players playing with different aspects if they ever if they ever like lift the ban on uniqueness. And everyone just says, all right, we're all playing a Spider-Man with different aspects. Like, okay, sure. We have four Spider-Man players. Cool. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess you could call it that. I mean, that'd be super cool. It's like, all right, we're all playing as one hero and you play as whatever you want and you see what happens. You may get crushed. may win. Yeah. I don't know. Like in the rules, you're not allowed to play with the same character. They're unique but it's a it's a game it's fun like why not why not for funsies just show up and everyone plays as captain america who knows what happens but the point i'm getting to is because of the aspect system you get this really customized experience that i'm so excited about. and they were smart enough to do it in all like like most generic functions, so you have your tank which if you don't know what that means it comes from you know rpgs and uh, mobas you're the character that's going to sit there on the front line and soak all the damage you have a lot of health you have a lot of defensive capabilities you have the capacity to just sit there and get punched in the face over and over and not care then you have your aggressive high damage dealing character kind of like a rogue or an assassin they are going to run in deal a bunch of damage and get out because you're generally pretty squishy but your damage output is really high. So if you wanted to, you could play a character with justice, and you can deal with your enemy scheming and, and you know, so on and so forth. But the the whole excitement for me is that you get to play the game the way you want to play it. That is a great selling point for any game ever.
2: And there's no one right way. Like that's one thing I like about this is a lot of times a game comes out, some really smart power gamer somewhere kind of solves it, puts it on the internet, and then you have to play that. Like, that's, or, or, I mean, or you're or you're considered you're, you're being suboptimal, or you are out of the meta or X, Y, Z. And I just don't think that that is ever going to come up in this game. And it's so appealing.
1: Yeah, and people are, sh- you know, going to flock to their own strategies, but just do what you want, you know, and learn from your own experiences. And, you know, I'm sure certain strategies will work better against different villains. And that's another thing, too, is like, I don't think there's going to be like a one size fits all type of way to build a character because different villains highlight, you know, different offensive and defensive options. And I highly doubt that your favorite deck to defeat Rhino will work exactly as well against Claw and exactly as well against Ultron and Goblin and future content. Like I I hope that we are rewarded for thinking strategically and, you know, trying new things and finding cards uh, that may have seemed weak in some situations, like really shine in other fights. And that's just more fun because being able to play more of the cards in the game is just that much more exciting. And I believe in the developers to challenge us to use different cards for different fights that, you know, in some matches, you know, aren't as good. And again, if you happen to have those cards in your hand, they're resources. So, you know, they're not dead cards, but maybe you can, you know, figure out better cards when you try the same encounter again and see if you can beat it faster or more efficiently or have less people get knocked out or something. I can't wait to see how all those things interact in and of themselves. And lastly, I want to point out one thing that the Aspect system does well is that even though they are all pretty heavily catered to one style of play. They actually can still do some of what the other uh aspects are doing, like protection, for example. Sure, you're jumping in front of a lot of attacks, but because you're doing that, using cards like Indomitable lets you ready after you do such a behavior. And nothing's stopping you from Protecting your other player and then using that ready action to go in and punch or go in and thwart in which case you still, you know, did the aggressive action and the protective action, you know, the, the player who uses leadership, you could use leadership to generate more allies for people so that they can use the allies, you know, as meat shields and be able to take hits from. Bosses while they're wounded, so that maybe they can stick in another turn where they would have been knocked out, but they really need one more attack out of them before they flip back and start healing. Like, you can twist these roles to, you know, still accomplish most, if not all, of the goals in the game. So, if you're protection, don't think that the only thing you're going to be doing in the game is blocking, because that's far from the truth. You're able to heal other people's allies so their allies can do more of their cool abilities, you know, aggression, um, might knock out blockers. Uh, you know, there's just different ways to like use these and they're not as one note as they sound. That's just kind of the theme and mindset to begin with. And then you can grow these, uh, aspects into, you know whatever shape you need them for the encounter and i think that's why they're made so well
2: i also really like the idea of collaborative deck building where uh, you and i are going to meet up to play some of this Say the three of us are going to meet up and play a scenario and i say hey guys i'm going to play spider-man i really want to do spider-man uh uh, protection uh or you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna uh play iron man with leadership so i need you guys to bring a lot of um So that I can just really get a lot of use out of these great ally buff cards and the protection aspect. And it really like it kind of like makes you communicate with your with your teammates and, and let them know what your strategy is and how that they can best synergize with it so that you guys can be successful uh, in, in the scenario you're planning to do. And there's no other game like that. There's no game where you are collaborating in your deck building as opposed to trying to counter your opponent's uh, you know. Uh, deck. And that, I think, is is, uh, is great. I can't wait to just just uh, basically coordinate and say, like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna have, uh, you know, uh, a Mockingbird, and, and I think one other person should take Mockingbird, but then the other person shouldn't, so that we can, you know, uh, you can use that deck slot a little bit more effectively for something else. I don't know. It just, there's no other game, I feel like, at least that I played, I know there are other co- uh, cooperative games that are out that has that element to it. And and I like it. Like, I like the idea of planning together how you're going to build your decks.
1: And here at No Responsibility, we always want to end every episode with kind of a fan question kind of thing. And as we get the ball rolling, obviously, you know, we have to come up with them ourselves. Hopefully, We'll get some great ones in the future on our Discord and on our Facebook page. So check us out there if you want to pitch us some questions that you want us to answer in future episodes. But for now, I want to ask both of you guys, uh, what is a quote from any comic, game, movie, your choice, uh, from a Marvel character, good or bad, that uh, has really stood out to you
0: my favorite uh, came from into the spider verse when stan lee is talking to miles and he goes the suit always fits and then they pan over and it says no refunds i just thought that was one of the funniest moments just because that was one of stan's last major roles in the mcu before he passed away and it, it, it was just really funny that he's selling all of these suits telling people you know with this kind of wisdom oh it always fits you'll always grow into it no refunds like it seems like a mr krabs kind of thing (laughs) like it it was to me it was just really funny i don't know why but i i thought that was just a really great send off for stan and it was a really funny moment in the into the spider verse
2: I am going to be a lot like Jay in that he's going to be constantly dropping Ant-Man references and I'm going to be constantly talking about Spider-Man. I guess we're just all going to be talking a lot about Spider-Man on this podcast, which is awesome. I love that. I don't have a specific quote, but I do want to bring up something uh, that I think is, is kind of overlooked a lot. And it was one of the reasons why I think some of the Spider-Man movies uh, could have been a lot better was that growing up reading Spider-Man comics it was exciting, it was thrilling, it was action-packed. But on top of that, it was also hilarious. He was the king of cutdowns. And I remember just reading Spider-Man comic books and watching him do the fights, and his whole shtick was that he would, as he's beating them up or evading their attacks, he's like shredding them. It's like a roast. And they like, nobody's as clever as Spider-Man with the cutdowns. All of his enemies would get really, really angry and off their game because of it. And he was just, just really, really funny. And that's something that they basically kind of failed to show in any of the original Spider-Man movies, was just how funny and how much of a cut-up and just an insult master that Spider-Man was. And I could probably go and look up some of the, the most iconic insult quotes of all time, but I think I'll just kind of just have that be my generic quote that I love is just anytime Spider-Man is insulting the supervillain that he's fighting, that is my favorite part of Spider-Man is that uh, it didn't matter how treacherous the situation, how dangerous the 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 odds, how uh, how close he was to being to, you know, really beat the heck out of, which happened to him a lot. He always just had the best insults and it was so awesome. And I love that. And no other superheroes like that. Or maybe Deadpool a little bit. But, like, man, Spidey's the OG.
1: Yeah, and one of the ways those stories evolved and uh, was always great is just, like, you know, when Spider-Man's having a hard time, some of the villains, like Osborn would then grab him and be like, you know, don't have anything smart to say when like Spider-Man's bleeding and like hasn't had uh, as much luck in the fight as he would wish. And, you know, he's gritting his teeth and trying to think of his next move and he can't come up with the quip. And like, it's neat that that is like an actual narrative aspect of his character. And I agree with, and um, I too want to uh, end on a important Spider-Man moment. Again, this show was even sort of, you know, Genesis stuff of the famous Uncle Ben quote, but I want to end us with a very, very powerful Aunt May quote that many of you might not be as familiar with. That's from uh, the more recent Miles Morales stuff when he started. And I think really encapsulates kind of the attitude that I think everyone should have uh, when, you know, trying to figure out how they want to play this game. Because again, you're not a hundred percent, you know, playing the character as you think the character is supposed to be played. You're playing it how you want to play it. And so there's a great moment where Miles is just kind of panicking because he just became Spider-Man and he just can't understand how in the world he's going to, you know, fill in the shoes of Peter. And in the comics, uh, he was bit the moment that Peter died. He actually watched Peter die on TV. Uh and the, what's interesting is the writers have said that uh, the Spider-Verse movie kind of handled it in a much more interesting, cool, and mature way, but uh, I do remember reading Miles just kind of being absolutely lost on how to get started on being Spider-Man, and Aunt May approaches him with this really great quote, and she says... Don't do what we say. Don't do what he says. Don't do what you think Peter would say. Do what your heart tells you. I've learned a lot in my life and I've learned that life is too short for anything else. Don't do what Peter would do. Do what Miles Morales would do. And, you know, he can't like live in his shadow and he will never be able to make the same decisions as that character. So don't try to be someone else. Just be the hero that you want to be and you'll succeed and have a lot of fun and learn and grow. And, you know, that's a cool quote for life. There's a cool quote for gaming. And I just think that's a really important message in general. It's just like a lot of us get caught up trying to, you know, we look at others and try to emulate them and see their successes. And a lot of times we just have to believe in ourselves better. And that's going to, you know, take us as far as we need to go. So with that, uh, once again, we thank you all for joining us. Uh, we're No Responsibility Podcast. You can find us online. We have a Facebook page. We have a Discord uh, where we are looking forward to interacting with you guys a lot. and. You know again hopefully if you have ideas or suggestions on directions this show can go to best help you and your friends you know dive deeper into this game let us know we really want this to be a community uh interactive and driven experience and we're excited to see what you guys have to offer for us as well um but until next time we have no powers no ego and no responsibilities